right. Welcome to another ecumenical conversation with a minister, priest, and pastor. My name is Tyler, and I'm a Lutheran pastor. Gwen is an Anglican priest, and Tim is a United Minister. In our last conversation, we were talking about why each of us are part of Christianity, and even the particular Christian traditions or denominations we adhere to. I think it's fair to say that in our traditions, and even in our individual backgrounds, we've each arrived at a place in our journey that sees our faith pointing us to places of solidarity with people who might be on the margins of society. And I'm aware that of what I represent in my being. I'm not on the margins of society, locally or globally. And I'm aware that we are three white clergy. But we've each arrived at a place in our journey that sees our faith pointing us to places of solidarity with people who might be on the margins of society. Now, I realize that most world religions are about peace and about a morality that seeks the welfare of all. It strikes me that in the Jesus story, we have a person who left centers of power to go out to the, or go to the outer edges of society. And so to begin broadly, I'd like to ask, how do you see our Christian faith as a faith of solidarity? Uh, I mean, there's, there's such a big question, right? Uh, how do we see our faith as a faith of solidarity? I think when we talk about um, Jesus, the, the Christ event, you know, I, I see it very much uh, as the idea that the incarnation of God, what sacredness and holiness in the world chooses to be at, at the margins. That's where you're going to meet it. That's where you're going to encounter it. That's where it chooses to be. And, and you can look at scriptural story after scriptural story of Jesus. You can look at the, um, uh, the passion event, you know, executed with criminals um, as a criminal. And, and you can look at, you know, Old Testament uh, scripture as well, right? You can look at the prophets. The prophets are always calling out for this. Uh, I think of uh, um, Amos or some, something like that, you know, always calling out for this. You get the, the Torah, the, the Exodus story, you know, it's this story of the, the, the press, the, the cast out and their, um, their salvation. So right through scripture, which, which we often base ourselves on, we're, we're very much a word-driven denomination in the United Church, um, very, very word. And I guess all, we're all sort of mainline Protestant, so we'd be pretty word-oriented in, in many ways. There, there's this sense of the story that we come from, that we root ourselves in, is, is going to the margins. Um, and so, so that's what, that, when we think of solidarity, that's, that's my first basis of it. It's, it's, it's in Jesus, the, the Christ event, and understanding that that event is, is bigger than one life, but you encounter it throughout scripture. I agree with what you say, Tim, that resonates for me. And even in creation, um, there's, it, it, there's a justice side of solidarity, right? And then there's also the relational side of solidarity. It's mm. both of them together. Mm -hmm. And creation has this um, relational um, embedding in what is, or that the divine is there, that the physical world is there, and it's all embedded together. And that sort of solidarity, it, uh, I think, is built into our faith mindset, that we are in this together, that we are in relationship together. And when all this, these artificial systems of privilege are 
you know, cleared away from our vision, we can actually see where we just fit with in a sort of humility, especially for white people, right? A, a humility that, you know, hey, we're animals and we fit in with the rest of creation. And um, we stand together, right? Because we just are physically, um, our lives are wrapped up in each other. And that's true for us with all humans, for sure. And so, yeah, you see it, you see it in the prophets, but you also just see it in the whole vision of what the world is and how it is um, this divine intertwining of, of um, land and animals and humans in relationship with the divine. Um, I, I feel like it is, yeah, all the way through scripture. I, I like what, I like what you're saying there because it, often this gets posed as purely an ethical piece, you know, like why, why, and that's when you get the charity model. It's, it's why do you do this? Well, because we're supposed to, because that's what good people do. And I want to be a good person, you know, just right. Cause it's yeah. right to do. Whereas when you frame it from that relational piece um, that we're in relationship with, you know, not just other people like me, but people that are not like me who have an entirely different experience and not just people, but the whole of creation suddenly it's not just, you know, it's ethical to do this, but it becomes a, a, a spiritual practice, right? It, it, it's not just, I do it because it's good to do it. In many ways, it changes me to do it, right? Like it, it, it affects how I see the world. Suddenly, suddenly I'm changed by, you know, so solidarity is not just a one-way street, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's not just me. Well, let me, let me, help you. Look at, look at how great I am. It becomes a two-way street where in my relationship with other, the other, I'm changed as well, right? Like I'm, I'm transformed and I'm saved if we want to use that language. Um, would it, along that train of thought, would it also be, you know, I, I see myself in you. Mm. I'm humanizing mm. the other in many ways, mm -hmm. um, where I think throughout human history, we've often sort of found ways to divide ourselves or to dominate the other, uh, that, that our faith is maybe calling us to something else that way. I mean, we continue to dominate each other now, especially if you look at economic systems or power structures from one country to the next or trade agreements even. Or religious uh, systems. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, look at what they've become. That's right. That was actually kind of where I was going to go to, like Christendom, if we're to separate the institution from um, the movement that Jesus cared about, we, in, our, in our institution, we've often been quite judgmental of other groups. When we're not part of the majority, when we're not part of Christianity, are we worthy of salvation? Christendom for me, <clears throat> or my understanding of it, is the allying of, of not all of Christianity, but, you know, the bulk of it, the part of it that had power and and institutional stability with systems of power, right? So when those are going along together, then, um, then solidarity is lost, right? Then you can say you should give to the poor and it's charity, right? Um, but it's not that we are with the poor. Um, James Cone is uh, quoted as saying that if you're not challenging the systems of supremacy, if you're not 
working to actively dismantle them or seeking their dismantling, then you're antichrist. Then you're working for that which is against Christ. Mm-hmm. And when, um, oh, you talked about seeing Christ or seeing yourself in the other, and people say also seeing Christ in the other, right? Seeing Christ in everyone, which would be t- to say to see not Jesus necessarily as an as a individual, but to see the divine incarnate in flesh in those uh, all around us. I think, I think what we've lost in, in our mainline denominations is we shy away from that word antichrist, which, which, which you said, because of all this like Hollywoodized or um, uh, you know, millennialist interpretation yeah, of the antichrist. You know, it's this interpretation. If we look at Revelation, you'll see these are helicopters and, you know, and it's like it's a code we're trying to figure out. And, and so, but, but antichrist in the Bible, how it's used, I mean, it's never mentioned in, um, in Revelation. There, there, we associate it with a figure in Revelation, but it's never used in Revelation. The only time I think, and you guys can check me on this, um, the only time antichrist is used is in, in John's letters. And there it's referring to people who were part of the Christian community, but weren't acting the way the, the author of that letter thought they should be acting, right? So the idea of the Antichrist in scriptural terms um, is that it's, it's the Christian community that, that masquerades as this Christian community, but, but really isn't. And so we see that manifested in the relationship of the church with structures of power. Um, and that is, you know, a sign of the Antichrist. Now, I'm not saying it's a once in a history thing, you know, where it's all unfolding. I think it's happened throughout history. Uh, the Antichrist comes again and again, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think we need to use that word a lot more. I, I think we're in some ways, Antichrist is almost um, the other from what God hopes for desires for in creation. Um, Cause when I use the term God or the name God, I, I prefer to be more expansive in that term <clears throat> to think in terms of source of life, source of love, which starts to see beyond um, maybe the Christ event, which works for me, but isn't necessarily for my Buddhist neighbor or my um, Jewish neighbor who's still waiting kind of thing. And um, so I, I, I hear what you're saying too. I, I think there's some cyclical nature to history and human history that um, we've had moments where I think there's been some words of hope and words of new life that would be God inspired. I think you see that with St. Francis's story kind of thing. Mm. He's saying, you know, let's get back to what's essential. Um, I I think we see that in some of the Reformation history as well. But I think we also have seen these moments, as you say, around Antichrist. And I think that can come in when the church takes on the trappings of power as well. I'd venture to say that's what's going on with some of the, the Christian element in the States these days with the way they've sort of coerced um, political party and, um, and groups and, and politicians uh, into uh, theology around um, prosperity. And if, if you pray hard enough, God's on your side kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's literally, if you pray hard enough, you'll get rich. I mean, it's yeah. most crudest element, uh, which is such a, you know, I mean, it's an abomination. Let's reclaim these words, right? Like, let's, let's, yeah. I, I don't know, makes me angry. 
Well, yeah. and right now it's it's even a, a a culture of if you're brash enough and pushy enough, you'll, yeah. if you just take, then you'll be rich. That's actually being celebrated right now. Yeah. So, I mean, if we wanted to apply revelation to end times, now's a great time to do it in American <laughs> politics. You know, like yeah. the beast and the, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I won't go there because we know that um, revelation wasn't written. Um, expecting to be the end of the entire world, but an age. The That's right. And, age. and a word of they hope to people who are being oppressed at that time too, mm -hmm. to talk in terms of solidarity with people. It was sort of saying, hang in there. Um, yeah. Well, one, of, one of the pieces I struggle with, and I've always struggled with in solidarity and what that means. Um, and I have my thoughts on it, but I'll, I'll get yours too. I, I struggle with it because I am you know, I'm as non an outcast as you can be, you know, I'm as non margin as you can be. Um, I'm, you know, all, all the boxes I tick white, heterosexual male, you know, all, all, all that Christian, all that, all that stuff. And so the question that I often ask is, you know, when, when I read stuff like James Cone, right, you know, God is black and, 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 uh, God, God is female, God is all, all these different, you know, liberation theologies and, and, and whatnot. I struggle with, not that I think they're wrong, because I think they're right, but I struggle with, okay, how do I fit into that, right? Like, how can I participate in that? You know, if I've never been on the lynching tree or near the lynching tree or threatened by the lynching tree, how do I experience the cross? How do I know that and that's a real real struggle for me i i've come to a conclusion but but i'm curious how you you folks deal with it i remember early in my awareness um about racism uh first learning about systemic racism and and the fact that yeah i i'm racist i don't want to be but i am racist because i am um raised in a racist society and carry that with me and that's something that i need to be working on all my life i when i was early in that i remember feeling shame about you know about being white or having i i actually didn't realize at the time that i wasn't as privileged as i thought <laughs> because um certain things were invisible to me because i just didn't realize the difference uh or in what ways i i actually didn't have power um and that's part of the part of the invisibility of privilege, right? Is we can think we have privilege and go along sort of like allying with privilege. Mm. Uh, for me, example being like, well, I'm not like those women. I'm I'm an honorary man, mm. I, which of course I never would have said out loud or thought consciously, but um, being unaware of how I attached myself to that privilege, not realizing it was privilege, um, but just buying into the the line that women were silly and secondary and demanding and weird <laughs> right so um so i had this shame about being white and uh it was awkward and uncomfortable for me and i i just i really wanted to know what to do i really wanted to be told what to do and at some point i don't know at some point of being i think i think that comes a lot from not having a lot of relationships like at some point, if you're in any of the community ministries our churches are involved with, and you're hanging around enough, 
sitting with people, visiting, having coffee, playing cards, at some point, it becomes clear. It's when we don't have any relationship, I think, that we, do, we don't know how to do. We don't know what to do, right? Um, but a big part of it is what we need to do, I think, is to be in relationship, to be in places, to not stay in the, in the ways our society segregates us. So to not stay in middle-class neighborhoods, um, to not avoid, I, I mean, middle-class people are scared of poor people, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah. and avoid them as much as possible. And so one of the things I love about our churches, um, or at least my church where it is, is that it mixes us all together. People who would not normally see each other in our society get to know each other. And the community ministry uh, does that as well because there are so many suburban church people are involved and these relationships are really important like they're transformative they transform how we think about people how we think about the world who gets centered right so instead of my vision of normal being um a middle class white life um you know at first it, it, it there's this clashing 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 and finally i get a better view where that isn't the normal anymore. And I realize that isn't the normal and that it's a lie, mm. that we're sold that that is the normal. And I think that's where solidarity really starts to build, at least in my, in my life, that's how it's happened. Do I hear you saying, Gwen, that um, in some ways when it's done well, Christian community can be a place where some of those barriers come down? Oh um, yeah. It's one of the few places, like when I was, part of a, an activist group and an activist community, it was not diverse at all. You know, it wasn't diverse by age. It wasn't really diverse by class. There were very few people who weren't middle class. Um, and it certainly wasn't diverse by ethnicity. And even they even talked about, you know, manarchists, just how many of the people were young white men. <laughs> um, although there were a number of people at that time, I, I don't know, I, we didn't talk about other genders, but a number of people who weren't men as well. But uh, what I realized at that time, after you know years of rejecting being part of Christian community, I realized when I wanted that, I needed to go to church. I needed to go to church and hang out with the older Cree ladies and um, people from Bahamas and, or sorry, from Barbados and Jamaica and, um, newer immigrants and refugees and rich old white people because I didn't know any of those either. I wasn't from a well-off family and I didn't, I didn't know even, you know, upper middle class people in my life. So all of it was experience for me in expanding my understanding of who we are as, as humanity in our society, in this city, uh, uh, what life is. Yeah, that's cool. That, that sounds like a very positive experience of Christian community, what you described there. Oh yeah, it sucked <clears throat> me right in. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, I'm aware, like in my growing up years, when I was going to the little congregation that I attended, um, there were a lot of people, it was basically a congregation of um, people who had come as immigrants, maybe in the late 40s, early 50s, um, had done well in life. They often done trades kind of work and so on, but um, but had built up a good livelihood for themselves and uh, and church became a little bit of their culture club and i remember there was a homeless person who started coming for a little while um regularly like 
he was there sitting at the back of the church and it was not a very big church. So if he was there, you knew he was there. And I would have been, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. And initially feeling just a little bit uncomfortable about it. He was an elderly person, visibly elderly, not very sort of strong or anything. So he didn't have any sort of imposing kind of character, but he was just visibly different. He was obviously not cleaned up for church um, and he would sometimes fall asleep during church. And so he'd sort of come to find a warm place to be. And, um, and I think people embraced him. And, I, and in some, some respects, it was, it, was, it was good learning for me. Um, in other respects, he kind of had his place in the community too, which was noticeable. Um, there wasn't necessarily a, a leveling of the playing field with his being there. And um, anyway, so it was interesting just to hear your... Was that like tokenism kind of thing was your concern there? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of that going on. Um, uh, there, I think there was some genuine care, but I think for some people there was tokenism. Yeah. What, what, what I struggle with, I mean, often because the church is, uh, uh, what's the quote? Yeah. Well, segregated time in, in American life is Sunday mornings between 10 and 11 um, is, is the quote or so, something along those lines. And, and, and you look at, I think often the church that we talk about here is the exception rather than the rule. And I don't, I don't know why that is if that's just because of you know the way our society structured in neighborhoods and so you go to your neighborhood church now and who else lives in your neighborhood but people who are like you i don't know how you get around that um, unless there's a, a real intentionality around it to say you know i'm going to go to a church that's way over on that end of town um, because you know because i think i need to but i don't think that happens too often well and as you as you said before tyler um, the churches, a lot of the churches have uh, an ethnic history. Hmm. It's a particular ethnic, ethnic group. Uh, and that's true for Anglicans as well. Um, what happened in the history of the church I go to, to, to make it that, you know, little diverse group that um, I encountered when I first went into it, um, was that they had been a well-off church of, of, you know, middle to upper middle class, English people, right, in the downtown of Winnipeg, but as um, downtowns deteriorated and people moved to the suburbs, that white flight to the suburbs, right, they had to decide, I think it was in the 90s, they had to decide whether they were going to sell the building and join their parishioners, right, or if, I mean, it's not that cut and dried, or whether to move the church to where they were to make it a neighborhood church or to stay in the community it was in and actually really engage the community. And so they did make the, the decision to stay and to be a neighborhood church and to be there for and with the neighborhood. So it wasn't a, a deliberate act of solidarity that you know not everybody loved and not everybody's been able to or wanted to stay with over the years. And, and for various reasons, people go to church for different things. And you might just wanna to go to your neighborhood church if you don't live downtown, right? I mean, a lot of us who go there live in the neighborhood now, but, mm -hmm. um, but those who don't and come from elsewhere are coming because they're committed to uh, that community and that solidarity that's happening in this little family, this little church family. I would say in leadership too, I mean, 
um, I would want to sort of, you know, get things moving a little bit too. Let's challenge our people. Whereas I'm aware that I've got a contingent of folks in my community who really want just a, a comfortable place to be when they come on a Sunday um, mm -hmm. or when they gather, they kind of want to know that they can expect certain ways of relating, social relating with their people that it's, it's a challenge if you're, if you're diverse. I think we need to work at being diverse. It's more um, work to be diverse. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Solidarity is more work. Yeah. Um, and, and it's fair enough that some people just want, and I actually, I thought about that myself too, at, at one point. It's like, do I want to go where there are people like me? And for me, that didn't mean middle class and suburban, but it, it still meant something specific and narrower. Um, do I want to be where it's easy for me to be because I need recharging for my life? Or do I want to go where it's challenging, right? But as it turned out, um, it the particular parish I encountered was for me also just really nourishing. Um, and so, I mean, I guess that's the best, the best of both worlds, but I, I don't want to condemn people who want a, a church that is a comforting place because life can be really hard. No matter how much privilege you have, life can be really hard. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, there's going to be different needs at different points in life and all the rest too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm looking at you, Tim. I don't know why, because you haven't spoken for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just processing it all. I'm just, I'm just taking it all in. Um, you know, and, and again, uh, just, just naming the fact that we're talking about this from the perspective of, you know, of privilege, about how to, how do privileged people engage this, you know, how do, you know, and, and I think our, 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 our normative church is a, a you know, a, a white middle-class-ish kind of church is how we define uh, as a pretty normative church uh, from my perspective. And it, maybe it shouldn't mm -hmm. be, but I'm just going to name it that when I think of what a church is, that's, that's usually what my, my mind goes to. And so I'm seeing a lot of this conversation being from that perspective, which is okay. That's who we are. Uh, I just got to name it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, not all church is. No, no. That's um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd be curious on like, uh, uh, on some of that perspective, I guess that's the limitation of having, uh, you know, three white heterosexual. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I, I know your church has an all native circle, right? I don't know if it still goes by that name. Yeah. Y y the United Church Canada has an all native. Yeah. 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 I I'm not sure what they're called now. Like we've just done some restructuring and I can't remember if it's still called that or what the, what, what's happening um, with, with, with right. that. I probably right. should, but uh, so the Indigenous Church within the Anglican Church of Canada has had, well, at least for me, I mean, I'm sure there's many Anglicans for whom it, it's meant nothing, it's way out there, and they're like, oh, that's nice, that's good, that's happening, or even they're hostile some. Mm -hmm. But for me, what's been happening with that has had such a huge influence on me and my ability to feel like the church is a good place to be, um, that the church is going in good directions, you know, not always, not all of it but that there's a lot of good happening and a lot of that. Um, I think it was you, Tim, who talked about uh, it changes us both mm -hmm. because if reconciliation is something that is something, you know, a reparation made and then we forget about it and we can go back to our normal 
and stop, you know, hopefully stop doing horrible things to people, then it's not real reconciliation because the whole spirit of supremacy that was there from the start that caused and fed all of it is still here, mm. right? Our society still operates on that. And so if we haven't been changed, if our supremacy hasn't been transformed in some way by this relationship, then we don't have reconciliation and we don't have solidarity. We have security. You don't have a relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or a mutual relationship anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's an excellent comment. And I would say even one that starts to lead us into another conversation too, the, the reconciliation piece and perhaps even um, the way we've wanted to sort of dominate or majority rules in our society as well. And, faith community can't necessarily be those things. Um, we're in some respects, we're a democracy in our Christian community. In other respects, we're, I don't know, communism or socialism or something, um, or even having leadership that is like benevolent king or something like that, benevolent monarch. Um, so I, I wonder about some of those systems and ways in which we've taken on trappings of the society around us in our church circles. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are we ready for a blessing? I think so. Okay. <clears throat> and um, this is a blessing for um, creation. And if we're connected at all, we are connected in creation. And um, these are words for us in the church, uh, reflecting on how we engage in the world around us and as stewards of the earth. May God who established the dance of creation, who marveled at the lilies of the field, who transforms chaos to order, lead us to transform our lives and the church to reflect God's glory in creation. <laughs>